This student ministry podcast is a sermon preached by Pastor Kurt Skelly at the 2009 West Coast Baptist Teen Camp. Pastor Skelly is the senior pastor of the Harvest Baptist Church in Atrona Heights, Pennsylvania, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you. For more sermon resources, please visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Look at verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 1. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to where? Where? Ziklag. On the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. All right, look at verse 2. And had taken the women captives. That's not an entirely bad thing. Uh, that were therein. How many of you have a, a sister in this room? You have a sister in this room. Keep your hand up if you would like to see her taken captive. Okay, good. All right, so that's not a bad thing. And they had taken the women captive that were therein. They slew not any, neither either great or small. So they, they, they kidnapped the women and children, but they didn't kill any of them. But carried them away and went on their way. Look at verse 3. So David and his men came to the city... And behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. That'd be a bad day. So they're off going to this battle. Uh, They come back early from the battle. They come over the hill. They see the smoke coming up. They know something's bad. They run to the city. They get to the city. All their stuff has been taken. Their homes have been burned down. Their wives and their kids have been kidnapped. All right, look at verse 4. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept. I'd cry too. Until they had no more power to weep. I mean, they were beside themselves. And David's two wives were taken captive. Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed. Now get this, look at verse 6. For the people spake of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But don't miss the last part of verse 6. I want everyone to read it with me. Ready? But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Say that with me again. Ready? But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. All right, I want to speak to you for just a couple of minutes this morning uh, on this topic. Encourage yourself. Encourage yourself. Uh, learn how to encourage yourself. Father, bless the short time this morning. Be with these teenagers. Give us a great day. We're looking forward to the fun. We're looking forward to the games. Looking forward to the competition. But Lord, for these few minutes, I pray that you'd help us to look forward to the Word of God. And Lord, would you please speak to each one. Lord, I believe that in this room right now, there might be a teenager, several teenagers, Uh, maybe even many teenagers who are battling with discouragement. Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn what it means to encourage ourselves in the Lord, our God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever been discouraged. And I mean seriously. I'm not talking, I'm not joking. Uh, I'm talking about your team lost the championship or... Uh, you know, your favorite ball team uh, didn't uh, make, it to the, make it to the finals. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about real, live, bona fide discouragement. Uh, depression. You know that teenage depression is rising exponentially? You realize that? 
you realize that it is not uncommon now for teenagers to be on prescription drugs for no other reason than depression? You realize that in the average public school system today, it is uh, very common for teenagers to go to the office and to get their prescription drugs administered to them at recess time, uh, even in elementary school or at a lunchtime in uh, high school because they're on prescription drugs. You realize that prescription drug use is on, a, uh, on an exponential rise in our nation because the world does not know how to deal with discouragement. Don't know how to deal with it. They figure, hey, if you're, if you're struggling, if you're depressed, then just take a few more pills. That'll at least alter your thinking in such a way you'll get by. What people don't realize is that prescription drug use is in itself a discouragement. You realize that many people that are addicted to heroin today or addicted to crack cocaine today or addicted to a regular cocaine use today uh, many times started on painkillers. Uh, I had a man in our church that ran our RU program uh, for a number of years, and uh, he was addicted to Oxycontin. He started by taking uh, painkillers for his back. He's a large man, and uh, he had back trouble, and he took painkillers, and he became addicted to painkillers, and more and more and more, until finally he was meeting guys down in the seedy part of town on the corner to buy prescription drugs for 20 bucks a pop. He got to the place where he was spending a quarter of a million dollars. He had a a business, a successful business, lost his business. He spent a quarter of a million dollars in 10 years on prescription drugs alone. You think about that. The last year he was spending 50 to $60,000 a year on his drug addiction. He got to the point where it wouldn't do anything for his pain. His back was in chronic pain, but uh, he had to have it because he had a psychological addiction to these drugs. He had to have them. He was constantly depressed. He was constantly suicidal, didn't know what to do. And the only thing that he knew to do was to chew those pills as if they were candy. I'm afraid that we live even in a society today where teenagers struggle with Uh, addictions like that. Now, I I would imagine that in a room like this, probably nobody is struggling with drug abuse. There might be one or two. But I do know this. There are teenagers struggling with addictions. And I do know this. There are teenagers struggling with discouragement. And I'll say this, that there are many reasons why teenagers are discouraged in our society. You realize that one out of every six boys, one out of every six boys, Teenage young men have been sexually molested in their life. One out of six. Statistics don't lie. You realize that one out of three girls have been molested. Been touched inappropriately. Have been molested by a family member, friend, uncle, dad, stepfather. And I'll say this. Uh... When things like that happen to young people, it can cause tremendous depression and discouragement. Sometimes you feel as if you have nobody to go to, nobody to talk to. And I'll say this, and and this wasn't the purpose of my little session today, but I'll say this, that if there's somebody in your life that's an authority figure, uh, uh, dad, stepdad, uncle, cousin, that is molesting you, then 
First of all, it's not your fault. Second of all, you need to tell somebody. And third of all, we're listening. Uh, because you're in a cycle of abuse right now that is going to destroy you. And in most cases, when it's a guy who has been abused, that that process of abuse will continue into the next generation. And it's rampant in our society. Rampant. The head of the health department at Duke University was just arrested. Now, you won't read about that in the papers. You'll read about it when the lacrosse team allegedly gets involved in a, in a rape case against a stripper, and that what, which wasn't true. It was all over the news. Now, here's a bona fide case of an administrator at Duke University who is offering his five-year-old boy on the Internet. I'm saying we live in a sick world. And there are sick people that are sick with sin. And sin, unconfessed and undealt with, will always cause the potential of depression and discouragement in our lives. David was discouraged in 1 Samuel chapter 30. And yet he found a way to deal with his discouragement biblically. That's what I want to talk to you about for just a couple of minutes. I want to talk to you about how to deal with discouragement biblically. Say, Pastor Scully, I just don't, I can't take it. I, did, I get discouraged. I get down. I get depressed. Uh, things have happened in my life. My parents just split up. I'm going through this struggle, that struggle. Uh, I don't feel as if I have any friends. You know, Pastor Skelly, what do I do? Well, the Bible has the answer. You know, how can we learn to encourage ourselves in the Lord? All right, you're taking some notes this morning. Uh, write down uh, these four discouragements of David. Why was David discouraged? And maybe you'll find that these are some reasons why you're discouraged this morning as well. Or these are some areas in which you have struggled in your own life. The discouragements of David. First of all, I believe that David was discouraged because David was in a displaced environment. David was in a displaced environment. In other words, he was in a place he should not have been. He was in a displaced environment. All right, here's what happened. Write that down. Figure out how to spell displaced. If you can't, copy the person next to you who probably has it wrong too. All right, displaced environment. And then look right up at at me if you would. David for years had been running from Saul. That running was almost over. Saul is going to die the next chapter. The next chapter in the chapter we just read. And David's finally going to become king. But for years, David, for no, no fault of his own, he's just tried to do right. David's run from Saul. Finally, David has had it. He's done right so long, he's sick of it. He's done right and run from Saul so long, he said, you know what? I'm sick and tired of hiding in caves. I'm sick and tired of running from town to town. I'm going to go to God's enemies and live there. That was a wrong decision. So David went to the king of the Philistines. Say, Pastor Skelly, are, are you kidding me? No, no. He went to the king of the Philistines, the same Philistines that he had defeated in battle. Remember, he had killed Goliath? Those same Philistines. And David went to Achish, the king, and said, uh, I'm sick and tired of running from Saul. I want to yoke up with you. And David basically sold uh, the, the, the idea to Achish that I'm on your side now. I'm on your side. and I'm willing to fight against my people. I'm willing to destroy my people. Matter of fact, David even went on a rampage of battle. 
and told Achish that he had killed his own people. And so David, he's lying now. He's deceitful now. Hey, check this out. He's living in Gath. Now, does anybody know who else was from Gath? Who? Talk to me. Goliath. So now David is, now he, he moved to Ziklag, but when he went to Philistine, the, uh, Philistia first, he lived in Gath. So David was living in the place of the guy that he killed for the Lord years before. David is now living with Goliath's relatives. He's living with Goliath's people. He's fighting for Goliath's army. He's in a displaced environment. You know, one of the reasons why we become discouraged in our Christian lives, we become discouraged because we find ourselves in the place that we previously had victory over. That's discouraging. I mean, how many of us have made good decisions at altars like this? Maybe at youth conferences or at camps or in youth group or at church. We've made great decisions, maybe along the lines of purity. Maybe along the lines of soul winning. Maybe along the lines of uh, consistency in the Word of God. We've made great decisions, and then we find ourselves, check this out, living in the land that we thought we had victory over. We find ourselves living in Gath. I remember a girl in our youth group years ago. I'm talking about years ago. This is 20 years ago. Um, I was in Connecticut. I was pastoring. And then for a short period of time, I was a youth pastor. Just about nine months. And during that period of time, man, we had a great teen group. And man, I, I loved the teens. And I felt like they loved me. We had a great, a great group. And we made some good decisions. In our youth group, there were certain girls that I thought were the cream of the crop. Elizabeth was one of them. I mean, just top-notch. Abby, another one. Uh, Lori, uh, just incredible. Lauren. These were girls that I never worried about. I mean, I never worried about uh, their standards. I never worried about their attitude. I never worried about uh, 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 their commitment. I never worried about their involvement. I mean, these four girls, they were it. Matter of fact, uh, the decisions that they had made were just model decisions. All four of them had made a decision that they were going to just be uh, pure, live holy. And, I mean, they lived it. They lived it not only in, in action but in attitude. I mean, they were just stellar in their testimony. I kind of lost contact with those girls uh, after I had left and gone to Pennsylvania. And it really shocked me. When I heard about Lori, see, Lori, um, well, she went off to Bible college, and we knew she would. She struggled financially. Her parents didn't have a whole lot of money to help her, and she could have stayed at Bible college and taken fewer courses, but she decided that she would come home, which wasn't necessarily a bad choice. She was in her local church, but she got a job in the secular work field for the first time in her life. She worked in a grocery store. There at the grocery store, she began to flirt and get the attention of some of the guys. She had never had that before, and people warned her about it, but she, she said, I'm okay. She began to get on the Internet. This was when the Internet was just first coming out, and she began to chat with some people on the Internet. 
She ended up chatting with a guy from Las Vegas, of all places. She ended up buying a plane ticket, flying to Las Vegas to meet this guy on the Internet she'd never met before. He picked her up at the airport. He was like 45. She didn't know that. He had told her on the Internet he was younger. But there she was in Las Vegas. The guy was actually married. She hooked up with him for like three days. Felt guilty, came home. About two months later, she found out she was pregnant. Ended up having that man whom she never saw again, whom she will probably never see again, having his baby. Here's a young lady that had victory over the giant of impurity. I mean, got that victory as a teenager. And now she's living in gaff. That's a discouraging thing. Maybe you're in the room this morning. You'd say, Pastor Skelly, I'm, I'm living in a sin right now that I years ago thought I had victory over. You know, guys, maybe, maybe you're living in the sin of lust. It's a very strong temptation for a guy. And girls, I want you to understand that. It's very, very difficult for a, a man, especially a young man in our society, to live in victory in that area. It's difficult. It's possible. And many guys are doing it, but it's difficult. That's why, ladies, it's so important that you guard the way that you dress. It's, it's important. It's, it's important because uh, the way a guy's mind works is much different from the way that your mind works. And there are guys in this room that maybe thought they had victory in that area, and now that the summer has come, and now that the, uh, now that the, 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 the freedom exists, and you're, you're able to access the internet, you're able to be at home alone, and man, I tell you what, it's so dangerous. We don't have internet in our home. I'm just, I'm scared of it. If we ever get it, I can tell you one thing for sure, it'll be in a very conspicuous spot, and it'll be filtered and password protected to the hilt. Now say this, guys. Don't trust yourself. Uh, maybe, ladies, maybe you had made a commitment to purity. And maybe now you're in gaff. You thought you had victory, but maybe you're in a dating relationship. And maybe you've allowed that young man to take liberties that he should not be taking with your body. And that's a slippery slope. By the way, uh, ladies, I'll tell you this. That if a young man would say to you, you know, if you love me, you'll let me, whatever that means, let me hold your hand, let me hug you, let me kiss you, let me whatever. Any young man that says, I love you, therefore, he doesn't love you. No young man that would touch your body before you're married loves you. He loves himself. Now, he'll tell you he loves you, but he does not love you. He loves himself. He's not trying to satisfy you. He's trying to satisfy himself. And so be careful. Discouragement comes when we're in a displaced environment. Many times the displaced environments of our lives are the environments we have chosen. Hey, the prodigal son was discouraged eating what the pigs would eat. He was discouraged with no money. But listen, that was a, an environment that he had chosen for himself. And so sometimes we're discouraged by a displaced environment. Number two, 
Sometimes we're discouraged because we have a destructive enemy. Write that down. I'll explain what I mean. Sometimes we're discouraged because we have a destructive enemy. Uh, David was discouraged because he had a man named Saul who was hunting him down. He had a man named Saul that was uh, trying to destroy his life. He had a man whose job it was. I mean, think about it. From the time that David fled, fled Saul, Saul's entire goal in life was to find David. He got the army together, and all Saul did from the time that David left is try to hunt down David. His whole life was bent upon getting him. By the way, if that's, if that's the way you live, that's a very sad way to live. You know, there are people probably in this room, your whole life is eaten up by jealousy. Your whole life is eaten up by hatred. Your whole life is eaten up by uh, conviction because you're convicted by the way someone else lives. Your whole life is eaten up by anger. And if, that's, if, if you're the Saul in this room and there are people in this camp that you look at and you can't stand them, sometimes girls struggle with this more than guys. I think sometimes guys are, uh, are the kind of people that we can, we can have a fist fight and pummel each other and then tomorrow we can be friends again. But girls tend to struggle a little bit more in this area than guys. They struggle with bitterness. They struggle with resentment. They struggle with jealousy. And sometimes you can put on that happy face and say the nice thing in public, but you hate that girl. You hate her. And if you'd examine your heart, you'd admit that you'd do anything you could to make her look bad. I'm saying if you're Saul, you need to repent of that and get that right. And bitterness is poison that we swallow while we wait for the other person to, to die. Did you hear that? Poison is a, uh, bitterness is a poison that we swallow as we wait for the other person to die. And if you're bitter today or resentful or hateful or angry against somebody, you're destroying yourself. And Saul was living self-destructively and he ended up dying because of it. But I'm not talking about Saul this morning. I'm talking about David. And David had a destructive enemy. David had somebody in his life whose job it was to try to destroy him. Maybe that's where you are right now. Maybe you have somebody in your life that just has it out for you. Maybe you're trying to do what's right. And by the way, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And maybe you're just trying to do what's right and somebody's out to get you. I don't think that's true in most cases, but it might be true in your case. It might be that you're here at this camp and, and uh, in your home, you're not supported whatsoever. And you would love to have a Christian mom and a Christian dad. And I'll say this, if you are in a Christian home, you ought to thank God for that. And sometimes the discouragements that we face are discouragements because you have a, a dad who makes fun of you. Or you have a stepdad that is a drinker. Or you have a, 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 an older brother that mocks your Christianity. And that's a difficult thing to stand for God when the people in your life that ought to be close to you. This was David's father-in-law. This was his wife's dad. And yet he was out to get him. You know, it's interesting to me that uh, people are nice to us typically when they can get something out of us. That's the way the world lives. People are typically nice to us. Uh, Saul was nice to David when David plays, played his harp for Saul. As long as David was playing his harp and, and Saul liked the music, hey, David was a great guy. Hey, Saul was nice to David when David killed Goliath. I mean, Saul got Goliath off his back. Hey, I'm going to make you the second in command, David. That's wonderful. 
Saul loved David when he was a harpist. Saul loved David when he was the hero. Hey, Saul made David a member of his own court. David was his best servant. And Saul loved David when he was his helper. But when everyone sang about David and David was more popular than Saul, then all of a sudden Saul hated David. And what happens sometimes in our lives is people love us when we are a benefit to them. But when you're no longer beneficial to somebody, then you find out people's true colors. And I'll say this, a true friend loveth at all times. A true friend is born for adversity. And if you have the kind of friendship where people like you when you help them or when you make them more popular and they don't like you when you make them look bad, that's not a true friend. And I would encourage you this week at camp, be a true friend. A true friend says, you don't have to do anything for me. I'm here for you. And so David had a destructive enemy. Maybe you're discouraged today because there's somebody in your life that is uh, out to get you. Somebody in your life that hates you, that can be discouraging. All right, number three. Number three, the discouragements of David. Number one, he was in a displaced environment. Number two, he had a a destructive enemy. Number three, he had just experienced a disappointing event. A disappointing event. Say, Brother Skelly, what was that? Well, the city burned down in which he was living. Can you imagine riding the bus back from camp? Can you imagine uh, driving uh, from your car, from the church, going back to your house and rounding the corner to your street and uh, seeing your house up in flames? Can you imagine running to your home and the firefighters are there and, and screaming and crying and saying, you know, where, 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 where's my parents? Where's my brother? Where's my sister? Where's my dog? Where's my hamster? Where's my goldfish? I mean, the people that really matter in your life. Where are they? Can you imagine if the firefighter said, hey, we've had a terroristic attack. Your family has been taken. Your stuff has been destroyed. That would be disappointing. See, that's exactly what happened to David and all of his men. They crested that hill. They saw the city on fire. Ziklag was now going to be, was, was destroyed. All their stuff had been taken. Their wives and their children were kidnapped. You know what's amazing to me? Life can change in one day. Your life can change in one day. How many of you are, this is senior high, how many of you are old enough to remember where you were when 9-11 took place? You remember, were you in school, most of you? Remember when that happened? I don't know how it happened in your school, but in our school, I was uh, in my office and the events now were clear to me. And I went over to the school and I gathered all of our high school kids together. We have a small high school. We gathered all in one room, and we turned the television set on. We had called the parents because we allowed the parents to come pick the kids up if they wanted to. We sat there and watched the news reports. We watched as those twin towers were burning. We watched the footage of the Pentagon as it was burning. We were actually watching the television live when the towers began to collapse. How many remember that? Hey, our nation changed in one day. In one day, everything changed. Hey, that Sunday at church, the Sunday after 9-11, I forget what day 9-11 was on. I think it was a Tuesday. But the Sunday after 9-11, our church was packed with visitors. I, I, I preached a message that morning. I think we had 15 adults that morning walk the aisle for salvation. 
I'm saying that everything changed in one event. I remember getting a phone call from a young man in our church some years ago. His name was Todd. Todd called me and said, Pastor, uh, as you know, I've been having some stomach problems and, and uh, I'm going to go to the hospital. So he went. Later on that day, he called me. His wife actually called me and said, uh, they're wheeling me into the operating room right now. Emergency surgery. I ran down to Allegheny General Hospital in Pittsburgh, and I waited in the waiting room with his wife. And when he came out of surgery, the doctor said, we found a tumor in his colon that was the size of a grapefruit. That's why he was having so many bowel troubles. We removed the tumor, and the tumor is cancerous. They removed the tumor. They removed part of his colon. That was Todd. He was one of my buddies. A young man at our church, he played on our softball team. He played football. Two little kids. Three years later, I remember sitting next to Todd in a, when he was in a hospital bed. He was a big, huge guy. He was down to like 90 pounds. We were there with Todd when he took his last breath and died. His kids are still in our school. I remember the tears streaming down his wife's cheek and his children asking why their daddy had to die. I'm saying this, everything changed. Everything changed that day. There are teenagers in this room right now who've lost moms and dads in the last few years. I remember sitting on, standing on my porch watching my dad when I was almost four years of age, through three actually, but almost four, holding my mom's hand, my brother holding my mom's hand on that side, watching my dad leave our home for the, for the last time. Hey, everything changed that day. You know, maybe you've faced a disappointing event in your life. And by the way, sometimes you can't change what's happened and you're discouraged. I'm saying David was discouraged. He was in a displaced environment. He had a destructive enemy. He had just experienced a very disappointing event. And then, lastly, he had distressed emotions. See, to add insult to injury, David was not where he was supposed to be. He had a guy hunting down his life would kill him in a New York second. He had to, his wives and children that had been kidnapped. His stuff was taken. His city was destroyed. And to add insult to injury, the people that loved him the most, the people that were his closest friends, the people that had traveled with him now for years, those mighty men, to add insult to injury, they said, we want to kill David. Look at verse 6. David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him. Hey, David, it's your fault. We never wanted to come to Philistia in the first place. It's your fault. I'll never see my wife again. It's your fault. They're probably going to kill my kids. It's your fault. I've lost all my stuff. Hey, guys, let's kill him. Here's David all by himself. Distressed emotions. Let me say this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Nothing has been more untrue. Sometimes the greatest distress that we face in our lives is the distress of being betrayed by people that say they love us. 
Sometimes the greatest distress and the greatest discouragement of life is not what happens to us physically, but what happens to us emotionally. What I find in verse 6 is that David had very distressed emotions because the people in his life that should have supported him were turning their back on him. It's like Judas walking up to the Lord and placing a kiss on his cheek. Friend, friend, maybe you've experienced that kind of betrayal. Maybe like me, you've had a dad walk out on you. Maybe like me, you've had a parent that has betrayed you. Maybe like David, you've had people that you thought were in your corner that have turned their back on you. Maybe right now in this room, there's somebody that's sitting four rows away that used to sit right next to you as your best friend won't even talk to you today. Maybe there are people in your life right now that you thought you could count on, you thought you could bank on, and right now they, are, they might as well be your worst enemy. I'm saying that there are many reasons for discouragement. All right? We're done in five minutes. Let me tell you how to deal with discouragement. And I have a whole outline, but I'm not going to share my outline. I'm just going to make this very practical. David encouraged himself and the Lord is God. No one else could. There was no youth conference. There was no idle wild pines camp to attend. There was no youth pastor to come alongside. There was no best friend that could pray with him. David was all by himself. And yet David still found a way to encourage himself. He encouraged himself with three thoughts. First of all, this thought, there is a God. There is a God. David encouraged himself in the Lord. And the first thought that David had was, there is a God. And when every single person in life walks out on me, and when every single person in life seemingly wants to kill me, and even when my best friends are not there for me, I'm so glad that there is a God. And the greatest encouragement sometimes that we can have in life is to realize that God is real. When did David learn that? David learned that when he was a teenager. Finish the verse with me. Ready? Yea, though I walk, talk to me, through the valley of the shadow of death, I will no evil for, for what? See, David learned that when he was out in the field as a teenager. David learned years before there was a ziklag. Years before there was betrayal, years before Saul was out to get him, David learned this truth. When I'm in the shadow of death, the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear because I know that God is real. Let me ask you a question this morning. How real is your God? How real is he? See, I'm, I'm afraid that church is real. I'm afraid that youth group is real. I'm afraid that uh, you know, even the Bible's real because we can touch it and hold it. Camp is real, but I, I, I don't know that God is real to the average teenager. Can I ask you a question? Do you ever walk outside at night and just look up at the stars and think about God? Do you ever just stop and be still and know that God is real? The reason why we're so discouraged is because we are not connected with God. So David said, number one, there is a God. Number two, he is my God. There is a God, and that God is my God. 
He said, uh, I'm, I'm going to encourage myself and the Lord, my, his God. And what we have to understand is that there is a God, but listen, that God is more than just Pastor Chapel's God. And that God is more than just Brother Schmidt's God. And that God is more than just Brother Skelly's God. And that God is more than just your mom and dad's God. That God is your God. There is ownership. There is relationship. There is fellowship. God is your God. David encouraged himself with the fact that my, there is a God, but that God, he is my God. See, it's one thing to have a, a God. It's another thing that that God to be your God. Uh, the, one of my favorite pictures is a picture of uh, John F. Kennedy's office. I'm not a big John F. Kennedy fan, but it's a, I like this picture. It's a picture of the Oval Office. Maybe you've been to the Reagan Library. You've seen the, the replica of the Oval Office. There in the Oval Office in that desk, uh, John F. Kennedy's desk, that resolute desk in the Oval Office, there's a picture of little John Jr. Kennedy and little Caroline. They were little toddler children. And they were playing underneath that desk. Just a shot. Their dad was working. I think he was on the phone at the desk. And the kids, the camera had taken a picture of the kids underneath the desk playing. I love that picture. Because here are two kids blissfully ignorant that their dad is the president of the United States. He might have been on the phone with a senator. He might have been on the phone with some head of state from some other country. He might have been taking care of some incredibly important national security issue. But those kids didn't care. That was their dad. I'm a taxpayer. I mean, believe me, they take a lot of taxes from me. I've never been to the Oval Office. I've never met the president. One time I shook Jimmy Carter's hand back in 1980. And so I've actually touched the president. I've never had a conversation with a president. I've never been to, been to the White House and, and spent time with the president. I've never been to the Oval Office. See, uh, yes, he's the president, but he's not, I don't have a relationship with him. You have to understand that there's a God who occupies the throne room of heaven, and you can come to that throne room every single day. He is your God. And then number three, and lastly, how did David encourage himself? There's a God. He's my God, and watch this. He already has the right answer. See, David went to him in the next verse and said, God, uh, I'm thinking I should go chase these people and get my wives and kids back. And Should I go? And God said, yes, you should go. And let me tell you exactly what's going to happen. You're going to go. You're going to get your wives. You're going to get your kids. You're going to get your stuff. Everything's okay. I already know what's going to happen, David. Trust me. David said, okay, I'm encouraged. Why? Because there's a God. He is my God, and he already has the right answer. All right? Everyone look up here. Let me give you one illustration. I'll close. Years ago, my kids were all small. My oldest son, Nathaniel, who's now entering his sophomore year at West Coast, uh, was, I want to say, six. My second son, Joshua, was three. Caleb was sitting in the back. He was two. And our daughter was just, had just been born. My kids used to love to play in what we called the playroom downstairs at our old house. And they'd make up games and wrestle and play and do things that the boys would do. And Nathaniel, he just kind of, and I know that those of you in this room that are older, the older brothers and sisters, I know that you would never do this. 
I know that you would never do this, but Nathaniel liked to torture his, his siblings. So he would, uh, he'd wrestle and he'd get them and kind of uh, tease them and, and uh, torture them a bit. And it wasn't uncommon for me to hear from upstairs, Dad! And one day I was upstairs and I heard Joshua making a fuss. And I quietly went down the stairs. And they're the kind of basement stairs you walk down. You can look. It's open. You can look into the room. So I went down. I kind of looked down like this. And there was Nathaniel on top of Joshua. So his back is to me. Joshua's looking up. He can see me. Nathaniel's got his back to me. He's on Joshua. And he's doing the whole Chinese water torture thing, you know, this thing. And Joshua is just, he was screaming. It was hurting. And Nathaniel wasn't relenting at all. As soon as I went downstairs and looked, it was the most amazing thing. Joshua caught my eye. I caught his eye. And he started smiling. Now, why in the world would he smile? I mean, he was in a disappointing event, in a displaced environment. There certainly was a destructive enemy. And he had distressed emotions. And yet he was smiling. You know why Joshua was smiling? He was smiling because there was a dad. And that dad was his dad. And that dad already had the right answer. And Joshua knew within moments, it wouldn't be Joshua that would be receiving torture. It would be Nathaniel that would be receiving torture. And you might be in a situation right now where you're flat on your back. You're discouraged. Can you do me a favor? Can you get a glimpse of God? Can you realize that He is real and that He is your God? And can you realize that in your life, He already has the right answer? Thank you for listening to this Student Ministry 127 podcast. For more sermon resources, visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. And for information about West Coast Baptist College, visit wcbc.edu.